this is uh, the first edition of our podcast, Dad. Um, yeah, it's exciting. I'm uh, I'm Ethan Moore, and uh, I'm David Moore. And as you may be able to tell from our last names, which are similar, um, we are related. That's my dad, and uh, that's my son. Yeah, and uh, we decided to do a podcast about presidential elections, which is been in the news lately. Had, is it true? I hadn't noticed. It seems, it seems to come up every every few years. Yeah, approximately three, four. Three or four years, yeah, or something like that. It's in all the papers. We just had a, a historic election. Uh, Hillary Clinton, the first uh, nominee of a major party, is that right? A female. Who was a female? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there was Geraldine Ferraro. Yeah, she was a But vice she was a VP nominee, right? Right. And uh, versus Donald Trump, and uh, Trump won. I heard about that too. Yes, so uh, that's the first one. So he won the electoral college, uh, which p- is pledgings. Uh, the pledgings of the electoral college which apparently is what counts in this country. The the ballots haven't been cast yet. True, but uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, topic to talk about. So we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, what is the electoral college, and how does that work? And close elections of the past, mm-hmm. and I think in these difficult political times for some people, maybe it's a good time to go back and, and look at history. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Uh, and I think the broad sweep of our nation's history uh, may be somewhat reassuring to those who were disappointed in the outcome of this election. The Republic uh, seems to always survive uh, renegades and uh, lunatics and people that are... <laughs> Not that I'm accusing anyone. In Don't hold the back, day. <laughs> Dan, it's but uh, uh, scallywags and uh, people that are uh, accused of uh, terrible things. Uh, the the country, even if those people get elected, that seems to survive and continue and rebound in some way. So it's I don't fear for our country so much as some might, um, you know, at this moment in time. Well, you know a lot about uh, the history of presidential elections. Because uh, when I was growing up, you were a college professor, and you taught a class called Presidential Elections. Is that what it was called? Yeah, it was called uh, Presidential Elections, uh, which I used for a political science uh, designation. uh, But students could also take it as a history course, so it was either or. Okay. Now, so I I grew up in a house where um, I think I learned to memorize the names of the at that point, maybe 40-ish, 42-ish, I don't know, mm-hmm. some number, low 40s. Getting up to mid-40s now, 45. Yeah, yeah uh, of, of, of presidents past. And I remember we had a, you had a chart on my in my bedroom wall that had every president. I think it stopped at Reagan. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we would look, before bed at night, we would look and you would go through and be Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, Jackson, Van Buren. You know, we'd go through every, all of them. And then I think I even had to memorize them for some kind of a school play or presentation in front of the entire school mm, once? Do you remember that? I, I do. I do. And uh, I don't think that you had to. I think this was like your talent. Right. My talent was that <laughs> I had a weird family <laughs> and uh, a dad who was a college professor in American, 20th century American history. Yeah, it was something uh, you could do. Does that even count as history, though? 20th century? I mean, it was in the 20th century when you were teaching it. I know it was sort of like almost like current events. Current events, yeah. I also taught a course called America in the Nuclear Age. 
once again. Which was, uh, yeah. Not exactly history. Second half of the 20th century. I felt pretty good about it because I lived through it. Oh, because you, you, did you see those duck and cover films? Yeah. When you were a kid? Oh, yeah. uh, And uh, we were taught. I hear those are making a comeback, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We were taught to. uh, In South Korea, though. uh, Get under your desk and uh, put your head between your legs and kiss your ass goodbye. That was. Oh, wow. I don't know. Can you say uh, ass on a family podcast here? I don't know, Dad. No, that's the last time you'll hear. Watch your language here. No. Um, well, we're, we're going to try to keep this sort of uh, safe for work. Although I, don't, I think you can say ass. I don't think that's like a... Okay. Is that, that's not one of George Carlin's words, is it? I think that one was actually... Mm, I was referring to a donkey. Oh, okay. Thank you. It was a, a, a democratic, a democratic reference. reference. Yeah. Okay, I got mm-hmm. it. I got it. So your background is your history professor, um, and you, you did a masters in mm-hmm. european history or something like yeah. that yeah and you did a your your phd is actually in education mm-hmm. from right. university of south florida right higher right. ed administration taught yeah taught for many years uh at a couple of different schools higher education um administration background these days still still mm-hmm. international education right and uh you lived through the 20 much of the 20th century and beyond. And beyond. So you're still around. Yes. So uh, you have a lot of, um, and you, so you have, an, you have a special interest in, in that era in, in history, mm-hmm. in like sort of the latter half of the 20th century, in the nuclear age. That's true. That's true. Okay. Now, so I guess uh, I wanted to ask you, like, sort of why is this important to you? Why did you choose to teach in this field? And why are you still interested in talking about it on a podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. It, history, even though I'm no longer teaching it formally, I hope maybe someday to get back in a classroom and... And uh, with all the modern technologies that uh, campuses use these days, uh, it'll be a, uh, a little bit different. But um, history, and particularly uh, American political history, has been a personal interest of mine since I was a little guy. Um, I can remember when I was like five or six years old, my aunt uh, gave me, uh, much like I gave you this chart of the president's uh, she gave me little figurines, little statues, hmm. and uh, and they were all had the name. They're little plastic statues, like an inch and a half tall, and they were arrayed in in sequence with their name and term. And I somehow thought, oh, this is uh, something I should know. And I I learned them, I memorized them in sequence, and uh, still try to keep up. Um, At that time, the last uh, president was uh, Ulysses S. Grant, right? It was. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot easier. It was than, shorter. It was a lot fewer. No, no, what year? What year would this have been? This would have been in early in the. Well, I was going to say early in the Kennedy years. He only had weren't too many of those three years. years but, yeah, but um, I was born in the Eisenhower era, and um, okay, so I'm sure by then it would have been the Kennedy era, and I, I remember too. Of course, my father was very interested in. Uh, politics and uh-huh. uh, political science, and he. Um, so around had, the time, around the time the Beatles released their first album in the UK. UK, but not US. Yes, just something like before. That. Okay, just before. okay. Sixty two ish. Yes, sixty two. And we visited uh, within a year or so. My dad had a, a friend who was a congressman in Washington uh, from Columbus, Ohio, where we grew up. Okay, he was an old college friend. Of a gentleman named Samuel L. Devine, who was a long-term. I thought you were going to say Jackson. No, uh, maybe he got it from <laughs> Sam Devine, but he was a college uh, friend, 
and and they went to Ohio State together back in the day in the forties. And uh, Samuel was now a congressman, and so we went and visited uh, his office, and I sat in his chair, and I was like just about six or seven years old, and I was just completely bowled away. And I remember that Kennedy was the president at the time, and I imagined uh, as a child meeting the president. We didn't, but huh. it was kind of like, wouldn't it be cool? Interesting. And then... Um, Are you Now, our background is somewhat Irish. Yeah. Was, you th- was there any special significance for you know, your father, my grandfather, in terms of having Kennedy as an Irish That's president? That's a good question. I mean, uh, he, you, I guess we're pretty de- de-resonated, maybe. Yeah. It, Protestants in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Right. I mean, my dad... Not exactly fresh off the boat. I'm pretty sure he voted for Nixon in 1960. Okay, <laughs> okay so not... <laughs> so it wasn't like that, but he was the president, and we respected the office. And, uh, wow, imagine that. still important today. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and the uh, but within a year or so after that moment, I remember the day that uh, John F. Kennedy was killed, and I was a, in third grade, you know, in I was eight years old, I think, by that wow. time, seven or eight. And it was a uh, now was Ted Cruz's father a suspect at the time, or did that come up later? No, uh, that came up in the National Enquirer later, and um, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's been uh, proven or disproven either way right now. <laughs> Where was Obama born, by the way? Okay. Uh, so, all right. So that that made an impact, I guess. Is it did. You have a, it did. one of the – you're, you're thinking about the presidents and the history and all the ones right. that have come before Kennedy, and then Kennedy was assassinated. Right. right. And uh, Kennedy was assassinated, and it was a tragic day, obviously, for so many reasons and mm-hmm. so many levels. I was just a little child, didn't understand it. Uh, my parents were away uh, watching the Ohio State-Michigan game. Uh, which we weekend, just watched uh, which, uh, today, Michigan State, uh-huh. and uh, but they went to Ann Arbor, and I think the game was canceled, and they came home, you know, because of the uh, the, the president's assassination. So it was very traumatic and uh, impacting uh, us immediately, and mm-hmm. uh, my family, my in our life thereafter, and uh, it's always been obviously a, a very unsettling uh, moment, and as a child. That was uh, it. Was one of those moments. Where were you when Kennedy was assassinated? Everybody remembered that. Everybody knows exactly where they were when they first heard what the circumstances were. Mm-hmm. You ask anybody my generation or older would would be able to tell you. Just like they heard when FDR died in 1945, April 12th, it was the same. And when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, people had the same experience. They knew exactly where they were and what the circumstances were when that traumatic and terrible event happened when they first heard about it. And when when President Kanye West is assassinated in 2027, we'll all all remember that, too. Similar uh, (laughs) reaction. But uh, so, I I mean, there was something even as a child I understood that the the president is important. There's something about the office. Okay. And... um, so I've, I, I got, uh, I don't know, just by growing up in that era was important, but my, uh, I sim- simply gravitated in that direction in t- toward uh, uh, history and political science, maybe because I wasn't particularly great at science or math or, oh, really? or whatever, you know, but I loved, uh, you, you, the thing you do best is, is probably the thing you enjoy the most and, huh. and, and do the best in school. 
Um, Interesting. It's not that you were particularly excelled in this subject. It's just that you were so bad in all the other ones. That's sort of. That you, uh, I think by your mediocrity <laughs> seemed, by comparison, to be it rose, excellence. It rose to the top. Though. Or to the middle, at any rate. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's just funny the way you put it. My dad, if you're listening, is a very self-deprecating guy, as you may be able to tell from the way he speaks about himself. You know, I, I was a good student, but... Uh, you know, I really loved history in every form and fashion, wherever I could pick up a book and read about it. In fact, there's another, you know, anecdote from that ch- childhood. Uh, one day I decided that I wanted to be uh, a historian about Abraham Lincoln. Isn't it an historian? Yes. Uh, <laughs> did I say a? <laughs> I don't know. An historian. I, wanted I think to, you sound like a jackass an, if you actually an, force people to pronounce the an. <laughs> I was being facetious. I, uh, I wrote this uh, biography, having read, I don't know, two books on Lincoln or something at, at the age of nine, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided, hey, I, I want to write a story about Abraham Lincoln. And so I wrote this. A story? In ha- handwritten oh, wow. uh, biography. With, with like a, a quill pen or a parchment? How yes, to, yes. Vellum? No, we had advanced a little beyond that, but it was pre uh, every other modern technology, n- not even on a typewriter. I was, but I wrote it out in cursive, and again, it was like you. I didn't have to do it; I just wanted to do it as a child to, I don't know, out of the respect or just kind of my interest. So I wrote this this uh, history of Abraham Lincoln in in the third grade, mm-hmm. fourth grade. And uh, my father called me the youngest um, uh, historian, the youngest uh, historian about Abraham Lincoln, and he was very proud of this. Sure. And uh, so I got to, on a certain day when they brought the parents in to the class, I got to read my story. Uh, Was this like a fictionalized, like fan fiction? No, it was pretty much uh, straight, uh, you know, just he was born and, you know, he lived in... Was born in oh, okay. Kentucky, lived in Illinois. Did you do? You know, I assume you did some original research. Did you actually travel and uh, you did some ethnography <laughs> on the types of people living in that area? Yeah, and, I, I, I interviewed a lot of witnesses. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, who who knew him well? Okay. And, uh, okay, so you, you 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 read a couple of books on Lincoln, and you just you put some facts together, and you right. became and sort of a decided. Uh, hey, I want to do this. I don't know where ex- expert. It didn't. It didn't really lead me to deeper uh, research on Lincoln particularly, but it was certainly a a moment when I got a lot of attention from adults, and they were like very proud of me, and oh, interesting. my teachers, okay. and even my classmates, and they thought that was cool. So I, it certainly inspired me to keep going, and, and uh, so in, in uh, high school, I was interested in social studies. In college, I went and majored in history. And did my graduate work in history, and I've taught over the years. And um, but I usually I focused on American and uh, Western Europe for the most part. Okay. Well, um, I don't know what I should say next. I, I want to. We'll get into some some details here about. So we're going to do some analysis here in a minute mm-hmm. and some actual history. Um, oh, I guess I should just briefly say my my background. So um, uh, I'm a stand-up comic. So that's why I've been trying to get some jokes in. I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep trying to do that. 
I'm a stand-up comic here in South Florida and uh, tour, tour a little bit around the U.S. doing comedy. Um, and also I'm a podcaster. So I, I do a lot of podcasts on various uh, topics. And, and I wanted to do this one because it's, this is kind of a labor of love. I thought it would be fun to do a podcast with you, Dad, and you know, get your, your thoughts on this, uh, this topic. Thanks. And I, I really hope that our listener will enjoy uh, our show. The listener? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I hope so, too. Yeah, we'll have to call our friends. <laughs> our friend. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and what about the title? That's maybe the most important thing, right? I had a couple of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you, I don't know if you have any either, or if you have any ideas yourself, but um, I don't know. I'm thinking, should we make it comedic? You know, like something, like, I'll do some, com- like the hysterical history of presidential elections or something. I don't know. That's, mm-hmm. that's not that great. I don't know. Um, uh, the magical history tour. Uh, cute. Presidential cute. elections edition. That's good. I don't know. That's good. Uh, go a little body. What about this? Huge bulging elections boning up on history. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a, for the family audience. I didn't say anything dirty. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just thought actually, I, I, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts or oh, no. um, you, have an, you, have an, you have an idea? I don't know. How about my big fat presidential election? All right. I don't know. That's just... This is about Taft? <laughs> uh, yeah. He's a big fat guy. 300 pounds. Um, I was just thinking, how about this? What about what if we just call it elected? Yeah. With an exclamation point. Just one word. Elected. Or it could be like election. No. Elected. Conversations on the history of presidential elections with my dad. Right. Or with my son. Cute. I don't know how you want to. It could go both directions with that. And if we do it again, we could call it re-elected. That's true. That'll be season two. Okay. <laughs> okay. If we get uh, renewed. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. right. Well, uh, hopefully, our program director, after we do the air check, mm-hmm. you know, will uh, will want to want to keep going with this. Uh, all right. Well, we're sitting here drinking our uh, our Cafe du Monde coffee with chicory. Yes. Uh, which I just brought back from a show I did in New Orleans, and, and, uh, and we've never had a uh, president from New Orleans uh, or Louisiana for for the record. Really? No. We we had a, a presidential aspirant this year, the governor Bobby Jindal. Uh, Bobby Jindal. What about Huey Long? He never lived to actually run for election. He probably would have. He was kind of a populist was, figure, right? Yeah, he was assassinated. Kind of like a tr- Trump kind of Trumpian, Trumpian figure, um, would you say? I don't know. He was. I would. I would have. That's a stretch. I wonder. Well, I don't know. I mean, Trump obviously has some populist yeah, tendencies, true, right? So that's true. the. Only, I don't really know much about Huey Long. I guess he was. What was he the Kingfish? Is that what they called him? Yep. Yep. Um, he was a. His own man. He was a, there's nobody I can Im- immediately put my finger on. I mean, kind of a uh, William Jennings Bryant uh, character, populist, uh, appealing to masses because you get out ahead of, and this is certainly true of Trump, you get out ahead of where the, you think the people are and you get them to follow you in the direction mm. you, but by picking on issues that they, you think they would want, the you, common man. You should not cru- crucify the American farmer on a cross of gold. That's uh, Bryant right there. That you have to get the historic context to understand that statement. But uh, yeah, that well, was, we presume our our listener, okay. our one listener, oh. is, is quite erudite <laughs> and well researched. Right. You will know all of the quotes of William Jennings Bryan. <laughs> we'll try to include a William Jennings Bryan uh, quote in every oh, episode without any context. That will keep the viewer, the listeners coming back. And then sure. you can. That's, that's, well, there's a lot of Bryan fans out there. I think mm. <laughs> Anita Bryant. 
No, that's it. D- different, different generation. one. Yeah. Uh, is it Brian or Bryant? I think it's Brian. William Jennings yeah. Brian. Brian, you're right. William Jennings Brian. That's our first first correction. Uh, fact check. Right, fact check. Well, we can fact check things these days. It's, it's after all, it is uh, the, uh, the 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 dusk part of 2016. Here we're closing in on 2017 rapidly, and uh, we can we can really look anything up if we have a question about a right. particular uh, 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 fact. So. We'll, we'll try to do that, and we'll try to keep things uh, completely on the, the up and up from a factual standpoint. Um, but I, I wanted to just dig in straight into some of the history here, because this, this election, right, we just had this election with, with uh, Trump and uh, Donald Trump and uh, Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a few things that made me think about. And, and one of the first, the first thing uh, was the Electoral College. Right. So right now, uh, currently, it looks like... Um, I think it's, we're just about to have the final do- vote tally, but it's looking like Hillary Clinton has somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1.4, 1.5 million more votes mm-hmm. than Donald Trump. Right. And some people who I think either don't know much about sort of how the, the elections work in America or people from outside of America, when they hear this, they're like, well, why would the person in second place uh, win? Mm-hmm. Right, what would the person person who has more votes win, and it stands to sort of stands to reason that they would, but uh, that would that 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 kind of question betrays a, a deep misunderstanding or deep ignorance of the uh, the American system, I guess. Right, because we've never had popular elections of uh, U.S. presidents. There have been right. several different systems, all with all involving not the direct popular election of a president, but rather the electoral college. That's right. That's right. There have been five uh, cases uh, where really the Electoral College was the decisive factor, not the popular vote total. Right. This year, of course, the most... The man who lost, uh, who won the popular vote, did not become president. Right. In five other, five situations so far in American mm -hmm. history. And those were in... uh, Well, they go back to the 19th century um, in uh, the year 1824... With uh, Andrew Jackson and uh, and and John Quincy Adams, <clears throat> and uh, there were other uh, candidates at that time, but those were the two leading. Uh, where Adams uh, actually had uh, fewer uh, popular votes and won the election, mm. um, and it was decided in the House of Representatives because there were four candidates up for running at that time, and they were all they all split electoral votes. Right. And so the decision went uh, to the House of Representatives, and the uh, they awarded uh, the presidency to to uh, Adams, uh, not to Jackson. So okay, so well, so the, the 1824 is the first time. Yep. What are the other times? Let's just go through them all real okay. quick. 1876 with Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel J. Tilden. Okay. Uh, the Democrat won. Uh, uh, the popular lost the electoral and lost the election. Okay. The next one is? 1888, which was uh, Grover Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison. And uh, Harrison won out over Cleveland uh, in the same way. He was Republican. Okay. And then we sk- have a long gap. We skip all the way to... Over 100 years. Yeah. Uh, to the year 2000, which uh, most of us are alive to remember. That was the first election I ever voted in. Yep. And, uh, 2000. 
I don't know if you feel uh, like your vote counted or not, but uh, being in, in Florida, I voted in Florida, so I had a lot. Call. <laughs> I had a lot more power than someone voting in California. My vote was very close to being decisive, probably in a lot of ways. It was in the sense of uh, because of how close, uh, razor thin. Margin. It all came down to Florida. Yeah, Florida, 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 as they still say on N- uh, on NBC. <laughs> um, and that was the year two thousand, Bush versus Gore. Right, and of course, we remember. We all mem- remember President Gore, uh, or was it <laughs> Bush? Uh, he. I remember Gore introducing himself uh, uh, in a semi-humorous way, pejorative, self-pejorative way, saying of himself, "I'm the man who used to be the next president of the United States." <laughs> that was the uh, the closest election. Uh, it was, I mean, I don't know if it's the closest in history, but it was. It was so close that. Uh, Gore actually had called Bush to concede, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, and then he unconceded. Right, and then <laughs> went in front of everyone and said, "This is too close to call. We have to take it. We have to take the fight further and see right. where it, see where it goes." Right, and it took a few months to dissolve to resolve uh, it. A couple months, it was about a month and a half. It was about five six weeks. Okay, yeah, it was finally in December when things got resolved by the Supreme Court. Right. And then uh, this last one, 2016, which is doesn't seem like it's close from an electoral college standpoint. It looks like, like Donald Trump will get in the neighborhood of 290 to 306 Three, votes. Yeah, he'll get over 300. Over 300 vote, uh, votes in the electoral college, and, uh, and, but yet losing the popular vote by, by near, maybe, maybe as much as one and a half million. Right. So the, the reason it's not being contested the same way is because there is no one state Right, that is so decisive that you know we're waiting bated breath. Right, he's one, he's count. three states ahead or something like that. Yeah, so so all this raises the question: um, mm-hmm. What is the electoral college? Yeah, and what were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> right, when they created it. Yeah. So who 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 came up with this idea? Well, um, it goes back to our founding fathers and, and the U.S. Constitution was created uh, in the Constitutional Convention in 1787 and ratified uh, finally by the states in 1789 and that's when it went into effect and the first president, Washington, was uh, elected based on um, the new constitution. And it, uh, in Article 2, talks about the president. Um, and the Article 2 provisions about the Electoral College give the the states um, the permission, in a way, or the responsibility uh, through through this process to actually elect the president rather than the um, the popular vote. And there there's a lot of reasons, but there was uh, a sense um, in the founders that there was some uh, fear of uh, the mob rule. Uh, mm. Fear of uh, a populist, if you will, uh, candidate sweeping uh, through the elect, uh, the, you know, getting getting uh, so many votes, but not really uh, being endorsed by the establishment, if you of the day, right? And uh, this was a time important to note that it's well before the founders even conceived of political parties or uh, Facebook or yeah. Twitter. <laughs> That's right. And let alone, you know, the Internet or uh, MTV, you know. So how <laughs> did – So so they assumed that the uh, Electoral College would be 
kind of a, a group of elected officials kind of elected in the same way as the Congress or, or something like that, right? Because was, was there one elector per congressional district? Is that yes. right? So I guess the idea would be that you would, you would elect your uh, elector for the college at the same time when you would elect your, your congressman in the lower house, in the House of Representatives. Well, in, of course, the, the House members are elected every two years. Right. So the oh, right. So you would, elections only occur. So right during before. the for the presidential election, you would you would elect not only your House member, uh, but also your um, elector, right for the the um, yeah. And then you wouldn't elect senators at all because those were chosen by state state representative state. So you would vote. So probably when you went for elections uh, in seventeen ninety six or something, mm-hmm. right? You would. You would go and you would elect. So you'd be you'd be voting for a particular elector for president. You'd be voting for your your house member in your district. Yep. And then probably your local representatives for your right. uh, state house. Right. Maybe your governor. Maybe your if governor. It was his turn. And that and that was it. So it was all very kind of kind of localized. And I guess, it seems like the electoral college was supposed to serve as kind of a, uh, a buffer between the passions of the. Of the body politic and the the, uh, the of the people, you know, and the um, the the direct levers of power. Exactly, exactly, and it worked. Uh, I mean, it, you can say it, it it does or doesn't work as intended. Well, we don't really have the same system we anymore. Continue to follow it anyway. Yeah, we. we I mean, because nowadays it, uh, electoral college members don't generally vote. So back then, they were supposed to vote their conscience. That's right. And again, this was before the idea of partisan politics uh, was introduced. Now, that might so be... So these guys would, would, would meet in a smoke-filled room or something in December uh, of, you know, the, 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 uh, before the president is, is chosen, and then they would, they would pick from amongst the candidates. They go to their various state capitals. Oh, okay. And if they could find a smoke-filled room... They would, they would, they they would go, go there. there. Okay. And uh, make the, the decision there. Having, uh, hopefully, not spoken to each other about uh, who they're going to vote for. But it, uh, along the way, um, that, uh, you know, partisanship began to creep in, in fact, early in the system. Mm. Because you had your factions that supported uh, a Thomas Jefferson versus a John Adams. And they had different ideas of, of uh, how the republic should be run. And they, so certain... Uh, because they were prominent and they were very well spoken and very well read, they each of them uh, kind of attracted to themselves a uh, uh, a following, and uh, so the people who were for Adams, you know, they voted uh, maybe you could say their conscience, but they all kind of coalesced within that state. And he had strength in Massachusetts and throughout New England, whereas uh, Thomas Jefferson had strength in the uh, you know, Virginia and to the south. So they, they created these political factions, these parties. They did. They were So that it would to sort of consolidate that strength. Does yeah. that make sense? Is, yeah. that a, is that a good way to put yeah, it? Yeah, they... They, they, um, it's funny, you know, you never really think about, like, when you learn American history when you're a kid or even when you're today, it's like you're voting and it's, it's like the Republican Party, Democratic Party. And you almost assume that these two parties in their primary system and everything is all just a part of the 
constitution or something. Yeah, not at all. But it's not in there at all. In fact, a lot of the framers were against the whole concept of political parties. I mean, there are so many things that have come along uh, after this uh, that we think go back to the beginning, and they do not. For example, uh, primaries, those came in the early part of this century. There was no such thing until like 1912 when the, the first primaries occurred. So how did uh, how did candidates get selected for? They would be selected uh, going back to the 1830s uh, through the party nominating conventions, but the delegates to those conventions were not selected by a primary. They were selected by usually the state uh, uh, house and senate, and okay. would, would choose the, the the delegates to the convention. So it, there used to be all these layers. It's like you'd elect. It seems like you're uh, going back, you know. And this is these are things that I didn't even know. But it's just to hear you say that, it sounds like you would probably your your local election for your state senator would probably be something you'd really want to make sure you participated in if you wanted to have an influence in who the options were for president. Right, right. But you know, I, these hard. days no one even pays attention no, to local no. races. The only no. people that pay attention to local races for the you know the uh, floor, you know, Florida House of Representatives or something is probably uh, people wearing tinfoil hats and weirdos. <laughs> well, there's enough of those to go around, apparently. Right? No, I mean, I'm just kidding, but it's it's usually not they're they're not usually seen as. I mean, it's it's sort of like people don't even know anything about the candidates. I would say most the vast majority of voters. I go to the uh, voting booth and I think, okay, well, that one has a D next to it, and that yes. one has an R. Right. I guess I have that to go on. That's right. But I'm not that well. Researched, and if there is an I next to them, then you really are confused. Right, you know, which way do they go? Yeah, um, that's. I'd true. vote for the I, <laughs> probably <laughs> if I was the D or the R, most of the time. Uh, you know, that's exactly the way most people vote, and uh, th- I mean that's a shorthand. It's, it's yeah, because it's like we a... don't take the time to research our candidates and really follow find out what they're for or against, but. Um, if they have the D or the R next to them, then they are definitely um, aligned with a certain philosophy. Yes, governance. or theoretically anyway. And, and yes. uh, even though those folks don't always agree with themselves, with each other. But, uh, yeah, I was saying there are so many of these things that have come along since the Founding Fathers. Uh, even the idea of campaigning for president, mm. that was not... A, that wasn't something Washington did. It wasn't something really Adams and Jefferson in that era did. They, it was, it's almost like we reluctantly accept right. the burden exactly. of leadership. We're not looking for it. We, yeah, the office was too grand for anyone to be worthy of it or to seek it. Ah, wow. That's amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, Is that really how they thought about totally it? Totally different. Today. The office of just think just if you're listening to the sound of our voices here out there in podcast land, just take a minute and think about that. The office is too grand mm-hmm. to really uh, cheapen it by campaigning. Right. You know? For someone to seek it actively by right. campaigning. It's too grand. It wasn't until really the 1840s when you had uh, William Henry Harrison, a short-lived president when uh, they began actually to campaign. And that was, of course, 1840 was... A, Didn't he die? He died in office a month after uh, his, his uh, election. But it must have been a rough campaign. 
Well, it was a rough inaugural address. He uh, he caught pneumonia. His, ah. his address was like an hour and a half. They really should move those to June. Why in January anyway? <laughs> I know. Catch your it's, death it's of cold. A terrible time. They actually did move it, it, it. I'm sorry. It used to be in Washington D.C. is so March. lovely in January. I just, <laughs> well, no, and it was in March. Yeah, it was. It used to be in March, but they moved the uh, by. This was uh, one of the uh, amendments to the Constitution to change the date of the inauguration because mm. it used to be like from November to March, March fourth, as I recall. Oh, um, when the election or the the president's uh, term would begin, and because that was because you might have people and transportation was so bad, so right. so slow to get from. If you had a, a a president coming from Tennessee, which we did with Andrew Jackson, it might take him weeks to get to the Capitol. Yes. So you and also let's have do, time. Let's do it in March after the the snows of yesteryear have right. melted. Exactly. Right. Maybe the the, the the you know the disappointment has begun to fade, <laughs> but uh, at least you had more time for the transition. <laughs> right. Yeah. Interesting. So when do we change it to January? We changed it in the. Um, during the uh, FDR's administration. So in a way, nobody noticed. I hate to say it this way. It happened while Re- uh, Roosevelt was president, but he died. He died. Uh, he was inaugurated in, um, I think, March. He was maybe the last president to be um, inaugurated on March 4th. He died and then he was April pre- 12th. He was, he was president for you know 30 years or so, so... Well, no one 13, noticed. <laughs> Thirteen, a long time. He was uh, the longest serving president. Yes, is that right? Uh, four, yeah. uh, four, four times elected. elected four times. Yeah, died in office in the early in the fourth term. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they made the change during his administration, and it didn't really take effect until I guess Truman ran for re-election or something. Truman ran or ran, well, Truman ran. Uh, well, who's, to, after, who's after Truman? He became president, of course, uh, right. as vice president, and then. In 1948, he ran on his own right. and was and then, elected once. And then Eisenhower. And then Eisenhower in 52. And he took office in January for the first time. Exactly. Okay. Wow. There you go. Interesting bit of trivia. Eisenhower was the first president to be inaugurated in January. Um, Is that right? Well, I want to say Harry Truman, in, if I'm not mistaken, he might have been because he was elected, but it, he was already president. Well, that's what I'm saying. He was already president. Do you get inaugurated if your predecessor dies and then you... Yes, you get inaugurated. Well, you get, um, you, you, you get sworn into office. Okay. And then that's it. But then in, after an election, there's an inauguration. And that's when they officially take over. All right. So uh, there's, he had one inauguration in Eisenhower. When he's elected, he wins. He gets inaugurated in 53. We've we've sort of uh, strayed from the the electoral college here. Um, yes. it's easy to do, and when you get into American history, I guess. Yeah, there's there are many of, sides to this. Right, there's many little uh, little rabbit trails we could go down. But uh, so there, so I just wanted to come back to it. So so the electoral college slowly changed from a, a system where uh, you would vote for your your uh, elector. Mm-hmm. And uh, then and he would go and vote for the president, in, in the you know a couple months later, uh, and then they would select someone to a system where states suddenly started um, uh, having their electors 
vote in blocks. Right. So that when you voted for your, rather than voting for a particular elector, you would vote for a party or a, or a nominee of a party. And uh, then that person, the, all the electors in a winner-take-all system would go from the, that state to, to, to uh, vote for the, the actual president. Right. Uh, and again, in the early years, they didn't really have nominees. They just had uh, candidates. Right. You can't. Okay. And I suppose anyone could step up, but they had to have a certain amount of support. Nobody really cared if Farmer Joe ran for president. It, right. You, nobody listened to him. But you pretty much had uh, this inner circle of leaders uh, who were prominent, and those are the ones that are usually, uh, certainly those are the ones we pay attention to. And those names would get on the ballot, and they would get... Uh, you know, they would get a, a lot of support, perhaps even electoral votes. Well, I, I and I, I read a little bit about this before we turned on the microphones, and I, I was, I think, I was talking to you earlier about how, about how it was interesting to read this, but how basically there were a few states who started saying, "Well, if we uh, go ahead and say, let's just put all our electoral votes in a winner-take-all system towards whichever candidate gets the." The, uh, the you know rather than putting the electors on the on the ballot mm-hmm. and saying vote for this guy he'll make a good decision based on his conscience right which was the original system as as designed in the constitution by the by the framers of the constitution instead of instead we'll just say this guy will be a political hack <laughs> a political operative who yeah. will uh, agree ahead of time that if you vote for him he will vote for candidate X so therefore you're you're taking all the power of the state of, you know, Virginia or something or Florida, and you're saying all, you know, in, in Florida it's 29 electoral votes. You're saying all 29 electoral votes will go for candidate X, right? Rather than having 29 votes from 29 districts who all will vote their conscience, and maybe some go to candidate X, some go to candidate Y, some go to candidate Z. Right. There are two states though that do divide their electors. Uh, uh, they do not have a winner take all system. And, and that's uh, Maine and Nebraska. Ah, right. Um, usually, the, they they go all one direction. And this year, that is is what happened. Maine, all of the, I think they have four electoral votes. All four of them went to um, Hillary Clinton, and, and and then all five of Nebraska's went with uh, Donald Trump. But it could have been broken up. Right, it's been broken up in the past. Yes, sometimes. But that's still a different system because that's saying that we'll apportion them right. based on the, the top candidates. And that's what, a congressional – based on con- congressional district right. division. Based, yes, based on the number of cur- congressional districts. But uh, what hasn't happened in a long time, I guess, in American politics is the system that was originally envisioned, which is where electors were free to vote their conscience. Technically, uh, I was reading about this, it's still uh, – it's completely constitutionally acceptable for any elector in the electoral college to elect whoever they like. That's right. As president, there's actually there are some uh, state laws that punish what they call faithless electors. Right. But um, most most people agree that those are those laws are actually unconstitutional. And I also noticed that Alexander Hamilton, once he saw, and and I think it was John Adams and Alexander Hamilton, once they when there were a couple of these guys. Uh, who, who worked on the you know the, the, the original system? They when, once they saw that states were doing this and taking all of their electoral votes uh, and and putting them towards a particular candidate in a, in a winner take all system, 
rather than having them vote their conscience, they pushed for a constitutional amendment to make that illegal. Mm-hmm. To say no, you can't. You can't just say they're all going to go for, for you know, this candidate. You have to vote for the elector, and vote for the best elector, and then make sure that he. It would have always been he, no she, back then probably. Right. But make sure that he makes the best. Make sure you vote for someone who's going to make a good decision for, for the president, mm-hmm. and choosing the president rather than make the decision that you know that you want or agrees ahead of time to a particular candidate. Right, but it's really hard to know someone's conscience. And to get in their head and say, oh, he, he voted uh, for his personal interest instead of, or, you know, instead of by his conscience. I mean, it's right. so hard to divide that. But it strikes me that this is just another example, you know, of, the, of all these layers that the Founding Fathers put in place between the, mm-hmm. the, the passions of the people, you know, and the, and the actual. I mean, originally, essentially the only office which people were allowed to elect directly were uh, in a federal level were, were, were the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those were the only people, right? Certainly that's a, that's a popular vote, for sure. Those are popular votes. Uh, all the other votes, Senator, uh, you vote for your local congressional, you, look, you vote for your, um, your state, state House of Representatives, they choose the senators originally. Originally. You vote for um, the electors, and then they choose the president originally. There are actually no the only the only situation where you have a direct election is the is the house and that's only because they're supposed to represent your specific district. True, but that because of constitutional amendment later we have the direct election of U.S. senators as you mentioned. Right. So that now is by popular vote. And yes, and that's state been amended state. to the constitution. So senators are now elected by popular vote. Uh, the president is sort of elected by popular vote. Put accepted state by state, and so you have a situation where some states are more important than others right. to swing states, and so a vote in Florida counts a lot more than a vote in, say, New York or something like that. Well, you know, it is. I would compare compare the big states versus the small states. You have Rhode Island with its three electoral votes, I right? Think. And you say, well, that's not a big state. That doesn't have a lot of weight. But you can, and you compare it with California, which has fifty-five or something—a huge number, relatively. But then you compare the population in those two states, and you realize that if I'm voting in a, in Rhode Island, I actually have more power, or Wyoming, hmm. uh, or Alaska. My vote will has more influence on the a certain number of electoral votes than anyone individual voting in California because they have 50 million people in California. Yes. Uh, so the, their percentage of the impact is much smaller, even though as a state, it is very significant. Well, and if you're in a state that can can go either for the Democrats or the Republicans like on a, in a given election and flips yeah. back and forth all the time, like, like Florida, like Ohio, uh, for example, yeah. there's a few others, uh, then you really have a lot of power. Because right. relative to the other states, because you're so mm-hmm. Florida is, the, is usually the tipping point actually mm-hmm. lately, I think. And so if you if you're voting in Florida, man, there's their politicians are really courting you here. Oh yeah, we saw a lot of ads, a lot of ads, but uh, we also saw the candidates. They come here. They here, come through here all the time. Probably more than almost any state uh, because the stakes were so high in Florida. So 29 votes is a lot of electoral votes. Yeah, and it's uh, it could those twenty nine could go either way and really swing it in either direction. It's over five percent of the total that you need to win. And how many do you need to win? 
Well, there's, I'm sorry, the 538, it's, uh, you only need 270 to win, so it's really more than 10% of the votes needed to win. And in this case, uh, Mr. Trump edged out Hillary Clinton by about 120,000 votes in Florida. Hmm. Whereas uh, back in 2000, it was more like the final tally, whether you accept the number exactly or not, was 537 votes. Hmm. So close. close yeah. Call. Could have yeah. gone the other way. Really could have gone the other way. Not exactly a mandate, too. That's the other thing, too, right? You, ima- you, you, well, you guess what you sort of think about in these situations where, and I guess we could, you know, we could go back. I don't know what happened in, you know, 1824 or 1876 or 1888, but I imagine that those presidents probably had a difficult time having not gotten the popular vote. It may have. Do you think? Uh, let me ask you this. I'll just ask it this way: In the past, in all those elections in the 19th century, did those presidents face difficulty in governing since they had not received really a mandate in terms of having the most votes? Well, uh, let me put it this way: None of them were elected the next time. Oh, so a president? They were only elected close, close call by electoral college, and then the next election they were out. Except for George Bush. Well, in the 19th century. In the, okay, so I, you're right. I, I restricted it to the 19th century. So George Bush was the first president to not win the popular vote the first time and yet still win re-election. Right, and he did win the popular vote the second, the second time, time in 2004, yes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you can say that uh, there was a lot of resentment, of course, on the other side. Um, and uh, in, all the, in all those cases? Yes. And um, I don't know, there's... The the dynamics shift every four years, so there's no telling what the uh, implications for 2020 are based on the outcome of 2016. But uh, it it is true that one of the arguments against the Electoral College is the question that is raised in the minds of the electorate, if is the president quote-unquote legitimate if they lose the popular vote and win the electoral college. Hmm. Um, I think... uh, According to the framers, yes. Yes. Although they did not intend for people to vote, the electors to vote this way. They intended them to say, hey, um, I'm going to sit here and vote. I'm going to look at, you know, let's say Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, George Bush and Al Gore or whoever, and and I'm going to sit here and... I'm going to make a decision based on my conscience right. after looking at both candidates, right. uh, regardless of what the people who elected me to the electoral college may have right. may have wished that I would, which way I wish I would vote. They, would, they should vote their conscience, which truly undermines the idea of a popular vote. If if you're just electing electors and then they yes. can do whatever they want, then why vote? Well, they. All, yeah, I think the framers always um, assumed that we, we were. That that uh, democracy didn't work, and that we needed a republican form of government. Yeah, that republican to... small r, right? Yeah, and in term, and in the sense of the Roman Republic, yes, which I think they they, mo- modeled, they modeled much it. of it after. Yes, yeah. But uh, you know, I I think you know the great thing about teaching history is, is that although we look back on it and say, oh, that's the way it was, and we assume that it couldn't have been. Otherwise, and somehow, once it's written in a textbook and it becomes part of our history, it's just fact. Mm. But now, as you're going through it, anything's possible. Yes. 
So that's true. We we that's why we have elections to see who wins. <laughs> we play games, play football games to see who wins. We yeah. we know who we think will win, but we don't know until the end what happens. That's right. That's why that's what keeps us watching. Yes. Well, so uh, going back to 1824, 1876, 1880, is there any of those that you want to take a minute and just kind of focus on? Any of those that's particularly of interest? Well, they're all of interest to me. <laughs> that's my problem. Um, 1876 uh, was significant for a lot of reasons. Uh, there had This been is uh, Samuel Tilden, right. Rutherford B. Hayes. Correct. And uh, this is, um, I guess, after the Civil War. Correct. And after what is known in our history as the Reconstruction Era. Right. And um, that's when um, the North was still kind of occupying the former Confederate states as like a, a foreign power almost, right? A rebellion right. That, is, the, that was still yet to be completely contained in some sense. Exactly. Um, and that's why, I mean, Southerners for generations still called it the War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> and right. the, uh, they literally had Union soldiers... Uh, occupying the South. Right. So the war ends in in uh, 1865. 1865, and there's the the Treaty of Appomattox. Uh, Appomattox. Appomattox. The the, the the surrender. Okay. And uh, don't want to take you through every bit of the next uh, p- period, but we'll have future episodes okay. to go through that on. But what happened, of course, is uh, we have a, a very great president who's assassinated, followed by a very terrible president, Andrew Johnson. And uh, the first one was Lincoln, I guess. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming our listener knows that. Okay. Um, But then, uh, and Johnson was actually a Democrat, which is kind of weird. But uh, that was in those days they were running on the Union ticket, so you had Democrats and Republicans, and anybody who supported the Union could, uh, you know, it was kind of like a popular front. Hmm. And so Johnson was from Tennessee, and he was put on the ticket to balance it and um, and have it a Southerner and a Democrat be vice president. Nobody expected Lincoln to be killed. And uh, right. So anyway, Johnson's a terrible president. But we get the uh, voting of uh, the the the, the uh, uh, right. Uh, we first we free the slaves through the constitutional amendment. Then we give them citizenship, and then we give them the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and These are like the Reconstruction the, Amendments, right? And to they the all happened under Republican. Believe it or not, this is this is our history. Republican uh, leadership, which was very pro abolition, uh, abol- uh, anti. Well, they were yes, pro abolition, anti slavery, and um, and so they said, "What is the war about?" And we're going and we won, so we're going to end slavery. And thank God they did. Um, no thanks to Andrew Johnson, believe it or not. Huh. But, but then what follows uh, are elections of, of the Civil War popular General Ulysses S. Grant. In two, uh, two successive elections, 68 and 72, Grant wins. But he was plagued by um, scandal throughout mm-hmm. his administrations and was... Uh, um, very unpopular by the time he left office. But he was pop- he was elected with to, to popular acclaim. Yes, but he can't have been extraordinarily popular in the South, I suppose. Although they weren't necessarily allowed to vote. They weren't. They uh, the the Southern states were required to meet certain criteria to be readmitted to, to the be Union. Readmitted, yeah. And um, so it took a few years 
couple more elections before all of them came back in. Um, they were part of the Uni United States, but they were prohibited from voting in the presidential elections. Right, they were more like occupied territory or something like that. Was, yeah. yeah, and they were really were being punished. But they were also... Uh, uh, very the, those uh, northern union troops being occupying in the southern states was prohibiting some forms of discrimination against uh, the freedmen the black slaves right and they were permitted to vote in this brief period you had some black uh, senators and congressmen at that congressmen yeah. right some black congressmen okay known, uh, and and so this was a very significant period but in 1876, a uh, very tightly, hotly contested election, um, and remember the scandals of Grant, the Republican, and he, we have Rutherford B. Hayes, who ran as a reformer. And he was, by all accounts, a, a good man and a moral man and an honest man. But his supporters um, basically got the election turned uh, in his favor against Samuel Tilden, the Democrat, um, and, and on the promise that we will end Reconstruction in the South. And that meant that that was the beginning of the Jim Crow era. So in other words, they, mm -hmm. he, he promised to pull the Union troops out. Exactly. Right. Now, he, he campaigned on that? Uh, it was... Again, ca campaigning in those days was a, you know, the candidate themselves didn't say much about what they're going to do. Really? Yeah. Imagine that. Wow, that would be they, bliss. <laughs> no TV ads. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they stood based on their record, their experience, mm -hmm. and you could certainly look at their speeches, which were generally bland and uncommittal, noncommittal. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the promise in the smoke-filled room behind the scenes was, yes, if, if we can turn this election and, and the, those electors, there were 20 electors in 1876 that were contested in three states in the South between the two candidates. So, so the election happens. The, the Elector College is elected, right? Yeah. And people are voting for you know, either, either Tilden or Hayes. Right. At that point, right? You're, you're voting for your guy that's going to vote for... You're voting for Tilden or Hayes. But then neither of them gets enough votes Well, to... Yeah, yeah, this is before the 538. You know, we have fewer states, so we have a lower number. But you still had to get more than half. Half yes. or more. Right. Yes. So uh, it came down to 184 uh, electoral votes for... Uh, Tilden and 165 votes for Hayes, which you'd say, okay, it's done, done deal. It's going to be Tilden. So Tilden had more. He had more, except that. But there did he was, have half? There were these 20 contested. So if you, you these 20 were undecided, then and the, so there was a commission that was appointed, and the commission had one more Republican on it than Democrat. Hmm. And the, it went straight party line. And the, all of the 20 contested uh, uh, <clears throat> electors were given, awarded to Hayes. So he came out winning by one. 
185 to 184 electoral votes. So you win. That was it. Done. And he won, but the promise that he made to the electors in the smoke-filled room was, I will withdraw the northern troops from the southern states, allowing you to return to self-determination. Yes, states' rights. But, of course, self-determination also means that uh, uh, black people go back to being second-class citizens. Yes. And and, uh, now, it's hard to say what Hayes agreed to at this point, but... Promises were made on his behalf, and that's exactly what did happen. They pulled out the troops, and um, and effectively, the United States central government had no way to enforce, uh, you know, the the Fourteenth Amendment, which was equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, until the voting, you know, a hundred years, almost a hundred years later, eighteen nineteen sixty four, sixty five, we get the civil rights acts that are so important to us now. Now, if the Republicans were sort of, you know, pro-abolition and anti-slavery and let's let's have real equality finally, then why would they support uh, Hayes to give him the vote so that he could then pull the troops out? Well, that's a good question. Were they, really? <laughs> were, you know, the... the, the uh, I think we begin to see the hypocrisy of the whole system. At that point, well, was it? So, what, what do you mean by that? What was? The, what do you think the real motivation was for pulling the troops out of the north? Was it? I mean, or out of the south? Was it? I mean, was it just that this? Wh- wh- who who benefited? You know what I mean? Like, where was the? Wh- yeah. I mean, obviously, there's there's southern states here that are benefiting, right? But um, well, the whites in the southern states are benefiting. Yeah, right. Exactly. The, the, so so the powers. What, I mean, I think it was a pure power play. That uh, who benefited? Well, the Republicans got their pr- Republican president, and that's what they wanted. They and they didn't. They cared more about that than they cared about protecting the rights of the Negroes in the South. Oh, I see. So it was actually, it was really pure partisan politics. Right. Like we want our guy to win, yeah, and then he can deliver on. Right. You know, he can help us out with the. I need to pass a bill, a pork barrel legislation on in my home district or yeah, whatever. A lot of that, and uh, this is uh, in the eighteen seventies, eighties, and nineties. We had the beginnings of pr- the progressive movement and reform movement, and it it was some of the. I think this election and and things that happened in that era were probably the catalyst for for that that conversation and moving that forward because we didn't uh, there was no there there was no impetus prior to this for um, all the social service uh, civil service reform they had the you know saying to the victor goes the spoils and the spoils mm, the spoils of, system I remember right. reading about when I was yeah. a kid in, it, in history class you hear about it in the election of uh, 1824 1828 with Andrew Jackson uh-huh. Uh, putting all his appointees in, in office. Right. And the idea is, well, our guy won, therefore we get to appoint all the uh, uh, judges and we get to appoint all of the, the, the cronies into, into office, whether or not they are qualified, which we, kind of reminds us of, you know, what the modern day, too. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it seems like that hasn't really been... There, there was some reform of that, I guess, at some point, but it seems like that still is 
it's kind of the, the way things work in well, a lot of ways. It, it is to a certain degree. But we have what happened in the 1890s thereafter was the reform of the civil service system so that um, the president was permitted to, elect, to select a certain his cabinet and certain levels below the cabinet, but not everybody who works for the federal government. And so we have the, the people who work in, in a career position lower than the political level, so that every time there's an mm-hmm. election and change of power, everybody working for the government doesn't get thrown out and have to uh, you know, lose their job, and then there's no continuity. Uh, right. So you have like sort of a civil service, uh, civil service exam. That's right. And things like that that qualify people for, for these positions. And then so the boss upstairs on the top floor may change. Yes. But more or less the people working at the Department of the Treasury or something like that right. are keeping their jobs. And, and, and that's true in the, the State Department where we have, you know, uh, all of our embassies abroad. Right. There's a certain Consular polit- staff. And- there's the staff that's retained and then there's the political uh, people that are appointed. and uh, Who can fire people yeah. once they're up there. Right. But it's not typically done that you then would come into the office and then empty it out. And then hire entirely new staff. Right. It's more of a merit-based system. Not okay. A, not par- based on partisanship. So we still have a lot of this sort of spoil system at the, at the, at the top levels. That right. probably isn't very easy to reform. No, but it's important that, you know, the new president uh, have a, the power to identify people that are going to be on his team to move, uh, the, you know, in the direction he wants to go, he or she. Mm. And... Um, and and so you need a certain um, team behind you to get that done. But if you throw out everybody, that's really going to be a problem for the government uh, to to function in a normal way. Hmm. So as far as uh, President Hayes, how did he um, how did it work out for him? Well, by all accounts, he was a very moral man and uh, ethically uh, conducted his uh, business in office. Um, and that, that this was an era, starting with Hayes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, and then Cleveland's reelected. We have a series of one-term presidents, hmm. um, and uh, uh, so, and and also not very strong presidents. Um, the strongest president to date at that point would have been Lincoln. He took, you know, he 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 won the war. If he had lived, he would have had. Very, uh, I think our country's history would have been very different, and huh. I, I hope our the Reconstruction period would have been very different. And there was a lot of, you know, his uh, his attitude was was with malice toward none, with charity toward all. Let's move forward and bind up the nation's wounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is exactly the opposite of what, you know, the, in the early stages of Reconstruction, what the Republicans did. They they pushed um, <clears throat> the um, Southern leadership out and uh, took I mean a lot of the things were important that, to be done because the, the war was over and slavery had to end but um, they certainly did it with vengeance and vindic- in a vindic- vindictive way hmm. uh, take over and I think that I imagine there was some opportunity to enrich themselves at some point along the way too when you're yep. sort of an occupying army in a there's a whole another cast of nation. characters that are known as the carpetbaggers who came south uh, to enrich themselves. They were northerners, and they saw some kinds of business opportunities, and they called them carpetbaggers because they had 
their luggage was uh, made out of carpet. Right. And they came in and, and tried to, uh, um, in some ways, uh, um, take advantage of whether it be an impoverished South or um, and just, you know, having uh, very, very uh, bad motives to uh, make uh, not really good reforms, but just kind of make a power play. And that was not a pretty picture in our nation's history, not one we wouldn't be... There have been a lot of episodes, you know, that we're not proud of. That's certainly one. I imagine it would be hard to balance the different interests, you know, no matter what had happened, because you've got a, you know, you've got a government there that's um, occupying the South, and you've got a, a deeply entrenched tradition of slavery, and then even once the slaves are free, you've still got this, you know, entrenched hatred and and uh, discrimination against uh, you know the African Americans, and and so you know how do you and you have to you have to now they have to now they have to be allowed to vote you know mm-hmm. and uh, participate in civil society, whereas these people were not even considered human, right? So that would have been tough, right? In, in, no matter what, I think. Of course, which party would they vote for? If they were allowed to vote, they would vote Republican. Right. So, it, it, for, and for generations, they did. They did. They immediately created a, a lot of political a political block for the Republicans. Right. I guess it would have if the if they'd really been allowed to vote uh, in a in a in a proper way. Ah, okay. There was, a, there was this all. This is where the Jim Crow. Was. So yeah. So after. 1876, when mm-hmm. Hayes is, comes in and, and is able to immediately after that pull out the troops. There will be no black congressmen again until the 1960s or 70s. In the in the in south or in the north? In the or? south, a hundred years. A hundred. Wow. Wow. Right. So, and I mean, in those days, and this is a whole other lesson, a history lesson, but the South was democratic. And the North was mostly Republican. But the, the white people in the South voted Democratic. The blacks voted Republican. But the, the white people were prohibiting so many blacks in Jim Crow era from really accessing the polls, creating a incredibly burdensome burdens on them, like um, poll taxes. You had to pay money to vote. Mm. They were poor. Or you had to... Uh, they. How many bubbles uh, uh, are on this uh, wet bar of soap? Count the bubbles. Hmm. Tell me how many. Or how many jelly beans are in this jar? Um, you know, the, I mean, literally, these are not made up. These right. Are the kinds of the questions that they were asked. I feel like white people would have a hard time guessing that, too. I have imagined so. But no matter what they, they would try to answer, it would be wrong. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, nope, sorry, you're not intelligent enough or you're not... You know whatever the excuse was. So there were know. yeah there were there were reconstruction amendments in the, in the to the constitution which made this illegal, but they were never really enforced, right? Until the uh, yeah the nineteen sixties, and, and they that's the tragedy of, and why there was so much resentment, and to this day, you know there's. A, I was just going to say, so thank God we don't have any problem with voter suppression. <laughs> or, or uh, uh, racial animus, racial issues. No, no, right in twenty sixteen America. Never happened. Well, Lincoln uh, said it, and I hope is not a prophecy, but he said uh, in a speech against slavery, by then uh, slaves had been in the country for 300 years. 
uh, and uh, he said uh, it may be that we need it'll take us 300 more years to get past this you know he didn't I'm not quoting him directly but it was a um, pretty powerful where are we on that clock right now well we're 150 years down the road okay so only 150 (laughs) to go that's uh, halfway home (laughs) we should live so long yeah but uh, anyway there's one other uh, thing uh, getting back to the electoral college in relation to slavery and this issue I think it's maybe uh, significant as you know the in the constitution um Slaves were counted in the census as three fifths of a human being, three fifths of a person. Uh, that was a the three fifths compromise, if I remember right. my history right. It was so, exactly. it was one of those things. Uh, it was put into I don't know, remember which article, but uh, and one the, of the articles of the Constitution. And the idea was to mm-hmm. uh, determine how many, how much, because the states would have power based on. Uh, p- power, you know, in terms of the number of legislators they could get right. into the Congress based on their population. And the question arises, well, uh, the slaves aren't voting, right? Right. But there's still people there, in this pop- yeah. and so they still should count it somehow. And, and yet if you count them all as individual, as the same as, as free white men, yeah. then all of a sudden the southern states become immensely powerful. Right? right? So the compromise was, well, we'll make it Three-fifths, I guess, which is a sort of a... Crazy number, percentage. Uh, yeah. You're right. It should have been another number. It, yeah. <laughs> um, there's no number other than one man, one vote. But um, the, the thinking was... Uh, Did they think that slaves would be allowed to vote at any point? Was that ever a... That was not a... In, in, was that ever under discussion? Not in, in any way uh, discussed in the Constitutional Convention. The, the, the question was whether they should be counted... Or not. Okay. And uh, does it say in the Constitution that you have to be white to be able to vote? It's uh, free uh, males over um, twenty-one, I believe. Oh, okay. And it, in the early years, it was uh, property owners. You had to own property to even get a vote. Wow. And they they dropped that, and then now would a slave count as property? Yeah. So you could own a slave, and then that would allow you the right to vote. Yeah, or land. Or land, either one. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but th- it was a very cynical uh, way of looking at it from the part of the southern um, plantation owner or the southern uh, representative, even we think of our great founding fathers at uh, the Constitution. Sure. Convention. People like Thomas Jefferson and yeah. southern landowners. And, who yeah. owned, and he owned slaves. And yeah. He was from Virginia. And, uh, but the, the, the idea that for proportional representation – Blacks are going to count. Slaves are going to count. Right, although they have no fifths. voice in they have government. No vote. Yeah, it's it's very cynical because you're saying, oh, it's so, it's so important that we our people be counted. Be, our people be counted, but no, no, we don't our, want them to have a voice. Yeah, so we it, the inference was, well, if you give them a, a whole personhood, then someday somebody's going to say they're going to have to vote. But if they're only three fifths, then now uh, maybe they won't. Have, that nobody figured that out. Wow. So that but that was uh, that clause. Um, and and is one of the reasons that the southern states supported the electoral college because and they happened to be less populated, but they liked uh, they and if you took out the blacks entirely, they would even have less representation that compared to the northern states like Massachusetts and New York, hmm. which were very populated, highly populated. So um, 
anyway. The, so, so how does that connect, connect back to the Electoral College? It connects back because they, um, the southern states, ironically, got electoral votes based on the part three fifths of the population of southerners in the in their state, mm. and so it gave them additional power. States like Georgia, South Carolina, you know, or even uh, Virginia. Virginia, by the way, was there was no West Virginia; it was just Virginia, and it wasn't until the Civil War that uh, West Virginia broke away. Mm. Okay, so I'm actually looking at the, an article on this, and it's got a quote here from from James Madison, and it basically it goes back and describes how there were there were actually several different um, proposals, and, and and including some that it, that the president should be elected popularly. Yeah, and um, there was a, and another one was the the idea that the Congress would elect the president. Yep, that was sort of like almost like a parliamentary kind of a system. Right, and the electoral college was basically a almost like a compromise was the was how it ended up and so um this is a quote from james madison he says uh there was one difficulty however of a serious nature attending an immediate choice by the people the right of suffrage was much more diffusive in the northern than the southern states and the latter could have no influence in the election on the score of negroes the substitution of electors obviated this difficulty and seemed on the whole to be liable to the fewest objections from the record of the Constitutional Convention. Nobody was really happy with right. the, the compromise, but uh, it was enough to, uh, you know, come together, agree to, to some, and, and again, nobody was counting on the blacks to have the, 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 the slaves to have the right to vote in the first place. So to me, it seems very much like Yes, so there, slavery was part of the part of the reason that it was difficult to get a popular election of the president passed, mm-hmm. or or other kinds of possible like possibilities like having them the Congress elect one. Um, but also, I still think it goes back also just almost just as much to that Republican sensibility that so many of the founding fathers shared that rather than have a direct election for a candidate, let's elect someone to make make that choice. Right, and it's just to me, it's so interesting that we've gotten so, so far away from that. Well, sometimes I think, uh, I mean, this sounds elitist and maybe not fair, but I do think that some people don't take this voting privilege uh, seriously, and uh, you almost wish that the people who did had more vote <laughs> than the ones who don't. Mm. Um, but that's not again. That's are you suggesting a, a jelly bean uh, <laughs> test? Well, it, it's frustrating when you know people uh, who who don't really care, or they're they're not basing their decisions on fact. They're just just basing it on some you know what what some demagogue has said. And you mm-hmm. listen to them, and you think, oh, I'm going to vote them for them. But they they don't really take time to determine the better choice for the most people and the wrong person in you know i would say wrong in quotes may win well i i I always find it you know fascinating to go back to the you know the history of the roman republic and uh and its demise under uh julius caesar and and, uh, augustus who finally seized ultimate power um and i and i i i think 
that one of the one of the interesting things to me about the founding fathers is they were they were big history buffs. Yes, they loved the you know the they studying the history of of, of Greek democracy and mm-hmm. and, and uh, the Roman Republic, and they they knew, and you can read it in you know people like like John Adams and James Madison and their papers uh, uh, that they knew that that if you're not careful, a Republican government can easily devolve into a um, uh, sort of a, a bad democracy where the demagogue whips up the fury of the people and then eventually into a, an authoritarian or a, a tyranny where you have a, a, a dictator who controls everything. Right. And they, they looked at that history and they, they tried to build safeguards into our system of government that would prevent a demagogue from being able to seize power. Right. And they said, well, you've, you know, so they knew about people like, you know, the, 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 the Gracchi and uh, Sulla and, and, of course, Caesar and, and, mm-hmm. and Augustus and, mm-hmm. and these, these figures who had um, taken the offices of, of, you know, things like the, the consul of Rome right. or the, 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 you know, dictator, military dictator and tried to extend them and expand them so they could maintain right. ultimate power. And this is obviously things that had happened 2,000 years before the, the framers are sitting down to write the Constitution. Right. They're very fresh in their minds. They're very aware of that. And it's interesting to me that if you look at the history of the American Republic since its inception, you, you could, to me, in a lot of ways, you can read it as a slowly eroding away at those layers in between the, the passions of the, the, the people and, and the, uh, the direct control of government. So that the people, so we get closer and closer to uh, direct elections of uh, the most powerful figures, like president. Well, if he did away with the electoral college, uh, that's uh, it would be direct election, and then you would that perhaps. And again, I'm not arguing for or against it, but that going with your argument that might open the door to the very thing that the founders feared. Well, I'm not suggesting we do away the electoral college although it's an interesting thought maybe we should maybe we shouldn't I'd, i'll leave that to our our listeners to to opine upon I, well what do you think do you our think listener should, our listener yeah. i don't know do you think we should get rid of the electoral college i don't know i think two times in five elections uh it maybe needs uh having it a go, closer look having a split between the yeah the the outcomes where you have right. a rep- popular vote for one candidate right. and the electoral college for another right and and uh having said that there's no guarantee that if there if this election had gone without the electoral college there's mm-hmm. no guarantee that Hillary would have won just because she did the way it was it was candidates would have adjusted their strategies sure of course you you, you campaign in all 50 states i think if you every vote counts so you know, if every vote every, counts the same you have to treat every vote like it right. counts the same yeah and so you'd go to you know nobody went to salt lake city utah right or montana i think evan mcmullen went there <laughs> <laughs> that's true okay but no they didn't really uh, focus on the states where there was already you know i don't think um Mr. Trump went to California for votes. He Probably knew, not. He knew that uh, right. Hillary was going to win big there. So if if he had campaigned and tried to get votes more votes out of California, it might have been more balanced. So yes. th- there's just you know no way to predict um, the Im- implications of that. 
And then people would be saying, we'd be say we did away with it. Then people would be uh, looking at it in retrospect as if we still had electoral college and say, oh, we should have kept it because look, the, the wrong came. Sure. Well, it's, it's funny about political reform, right? It's like it's very hard to do political reform when it's benefiting you. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to say, well, I, here, I, here we live in Florida. Let's reduce the power of the voters in Florida yeah, at the expense of the other voters in the other states, right? It's if you're sitting in Texas and you're saying, hey, I want my vote to count more, it's very easy to say, yeah, I can get on board with that. Right. But right. When, you're, when you're sort of more powerful, it's funny to think about Floridians as more powerful, but we are. <laughs> Only because we're a swing state. We're a swing state, and it's sort of a strange thing. It's almost like an accident, and we've, we've become a, such an important place to campaign. It's a very nice place to come. So, so forget about how this will, how the, will this play in Peoria. How will this play in Pompano Beach? <laughs> That's what you've got to ask. Yeah, even uh, Miami Beach. That's right. Well, I don't, I don't know about getting rid of the Electoral College. I'm, well, I guess my point was that we've eroded these Republican, small-R Republican, yes, uh, layers in between. And I, I would, rather than supporting the... I'm not sure how you know, Republican I really am or anti-democratic in this, in that sense, in terms of the founding fathers. But I think it, would I support a proposal that would require people to pay more attention to their local elections and focus? What if we, what if we completely got rid of political parties and said, you're going to go back to casting a vote for an elector. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, he's not going to run on a party ticket. Mm -hmm. You're going to vote for an elector and he's going to make the decision for who becomes the next president or she will make the decision who has become the next president for your district. It would be chaotic for a while because people would not know who to vote for. Wouldn't that be great? Parties. That would be great. Uh, to me, that would be a great catalyst for, for people getting more involved in local and, well, elections and, and politics. Also, if you level the playing field, then there would certainly be more candidates jumping in. Yes, There'd that's right. kinds of candidates from every walk of life and every direction, and uh, it would be very hard to sort out you know, who, who's the best. And there would be no majority. There would only be a plurality. Interesting. Very interesting yeah. to have that situation occur. I'm, I'm, I'm all for abolishing the political parties, forcing everyone to pay attention and uh, uh, get more involved in their local elections. Well, I think uh, that sounds like a great solution. I don't know that how you can force force it because one of the things about this country also like it or not is um you know we we don't mandate such things you don't there in some countries like in peru you have to vote yes also in uh, i think in in singapore i think in yeah. australia but uh vietnam i used to live in vietnam mm -hmm. and you had to vote there although yeah. I, uh, although i think the way I, the way i heard it told from from uh, my vietnamese teacher when i <laughs> When I studied Vietnamese, there was she said, "Oh, I just, I just tell my brother how how to vote, and when the when the block chief comes around, he collects all the votes for the people mm, in the household." Interesting. And um, here's here's a, 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 a spoiler alert: the Communist Party candidate usually wins in Vietnam. Mm. <laughs> I think they have an unbroken record. Yes, that's right. Why even a have great like streak? This? Yeah. But uh, you know that doesn't mean obviously that they take it seriously. No, no, they don't always. So you can't force uh, people to vote. You can't force people to care. You can't 
So. I read I read someone some proposal online the other day where someone suggested how about a uh, five hundred dollar tax credit for people who take and pass an uh, an examination on um, like the basics of American mm-hmm. elections, you know, so basic political knowledge or something like yeah. that, because it turns out that most people, you know, don't even know maybe necessarily, you know, that one candidate is more liberal than another or that you know that. Uh, that the senator, how, what you know, what senators are compared to, how, you know, House members of the House of Representatives or things like that, you know. So it's like people have this this. Uh, there's this gap in in knowledge, and yet people are voting. So maybe instead of a negative motivation, like you can't vote unless, let's just try to find a positive motivation. Hey, five hundred dollar tax credit if you educate yourself. No, how about if you vote? You know, pay people to vote. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, various candidates have tried that before. <laughs> you know, actually, I hear that uh, uh, in Chicago this year, some uh, some voters were so disappointed by both candidates so much that they only voted once. <laughs> okay. No, I don't think I don't think they're still doing that in Chicago. Maybe many years ago. Uh, I don't know that uh, we have anyone uh, from the uh, from the grave. That's uh, come back to vote this year. I hope not. Well, in uh, in future elections, we could talk about uh, that. That'd be interesting. I think uh, voter fraud, which doesn't seem to be too much of a problem these days, but has been, I think, an issue in some elections in the past. It's been made to sound like an issue. In this yes, election. although I think most political scientists would agree that voter fraud does not really happen yeah. in any significant way uh, today. But it has happened in the past, so that's a, maybe that's a topic for mm-hmm. for the future. I also wanted to talk about in future episodes uh, some like like foreign deals. Like we had this uh, situation where um, you know this year, there, Donald Trump was kind of accused of playing footsie with the Russians mm-hmm. a little bit and uh, getting involved. And I, I think there's been a, so I'm, I'm sort of I wanted to ask you about how that compares to uh, you know Nixon talking to Hanoi. You know, yep. in 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 in, uh, in the seventies or pre-election, or the 1968. Iran hostage thing with Carter and Reagan, or um, mm-hmm. or you you brought up to me McClellan talking to Jefferson Davis in 1864. Well, so his there's minions did right. So there's lots of. Uh, it's interesting to me that the idea of a a presidential candidate talking to a foreign government and trying to work that out. You know, is that treason? Is that acceptable? Where's that it's borderline? Well, yeah. Where do we draw the line there? That would be an interesting thing. And I'd also just like to talk about in a future election the kind of um, like the, this phenomenon of party elites um, kind of choosing someone to run in the in the primary or to to win the primary, and then. Um, Having and and how usually you end up with someone who's in waiting who's been waiting their turn, you know. Yeah. Like some people said, like Hillary Clinton's been waiting her turn, you know, or Bob Dole. It was his turn to run, yeah, you know, or it was uh, um, I yeah. don't know who, what George another Bush, George, George Bush, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, the yeah. Republicans had a string of uh, candidates These, uh, that were kind of uh, in line. They didn't win the first time, so they're kind of like okay, expected to run and be the nominee the next time. Maybe John Kerry, you know, you can, or right. Al Gore too. You can you can look at it another in the other side too. And I, I think uh, it's interesting that I you always see these people get beat by people who seem to have the the popular. Yeah, um, the, 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 the finger on the pulse of the the people. By no means is it a shoe in just because it's quote unquote their turn, right? And uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was usually the Democrats haven't been as uh, you know known for that. And Bill Clinton came out of 
nowhere to right. There's a lot more Democrats and, jumping the line. Yeah, and Obama, Barack Obama for sure. Right. Um, you know, even John Kennedy in 1960, mm. he was a junior senator. In 1960, he was in, had only been in, uh, in in the Senate for eight years or so. But you know, Lyndon Johnson was much more experienced, and he ran against right. Johnson and Herbert Humphrey and. Yeah, so I'd like to I'd like to maybe talk about that, you know, that phenomenon of, of party, um, you know, sort of this, this idea of, of choosing the, the guy who's been in line versus mm-hmm. someone who kind of ri- has this meteoric rise. I think that would be an right. interesting right. contrast to make uh, sure. in a future episode. So lots of ideas there for future episodes. Yeah, lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. There's never, it's an inexhaustible supply of history. Um, so how about, how about we end it there? All right. For now. And uh, thanks for listening. Good. I've been listening all evening. Thanks, thanks for listening. If you're to, to the listener, thank you. Mm. And uh, I guess we'll say, write us, contact us. You can you can tweet at me at Ethan is not funny. That's my Twitter handle. Do you want to give out your your Twitter, Dad? Do you know what it is? <laughs> How about um, email? Email? You gonna give your email out? Really? Yeah, I'm sure there'd be thousands. You're get spammed. Okay, what's your what's your email? Um, D is in David. More M O O R E at uh, Broward B R O W A R D dot E D U Broward okay. E D U. All right, you can you can email uh, my dad. Uh, maybe we'll, I'll create a, a special email That'd account be. for this this podcast yeah. too, for so you won't get deluged. All the mail with yeah hate with, with mail, hate mail, fan mail, fan all kinds mail. of mail. Just uh, Come female, you. you know who knows. <laughs> Uh, okay, so so we'll we'll end it there, and I guess what what, what should we say to, to wind it up? How do we sign this off? Uh, maybe the, may the best man or woman win. Yeah, and now how about this? Get out there and vote in your local elections. Amen. Get involved. All right, we'll see you next time. Adios. President who's seasoned through and through. I for president, I for president, I for president, I for president. You like I, I like I, everybody likes I for president. Hang out the banner and beat the drum. We'll take I to Washington. We don't want John or Dean or Harry. Let's do that.